I'm Rosie Maddio, and welcome to From Pot to Popular, a new podcast where we interview the media, marketers, and moguls who are mainstreaming cannabis. Welcome to today's episode of Pot to Popular. I'm your host, Rosie Maddio. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Cy Scott, co-founder and CEO of Headset, the industry's leading data analytics company. Today, Sai is going to talk about how data has played a role in the evolution of the cannabis space. He'll talk to us about his founding of Leafly, the founding of Headset, and how data is the future of this industry. Welcome, Sai. Hey, Rosie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here as one of actually probably like our longest running clients. Always um, great to connect with you. And obviously, thank you for your partnership so far. But I'd love to start. Give us just the, the two-minute elevator pitch on Headset. Sure. So headsets, data and analytics uh, for the cannabis space. Uh, so our mission is really to uh, enable the success of these cannabis operators or anybody uh, that's interested in the cannabis space by giving them the data that they need to drive uh, informed decisions. You know, we're very motivated to see that this industry really succeeds. And uh, like any industry, you need data to be able to do that. Uh, with Headset, all our data is sourced from our retail cooperators. So we work with you know well over a thousand retailers across a variety of markets, uh, regions specifically like you know California, Colorado, Nevada, and even uh, provinces in Canada uh, to source our data. So we really can paint a, a nice picture of what's going on from the retail side of the business. So we really understand you know how things are getting sold, what types of products are getting sold. Um, what kind of uh, consumers are purchasing products and how are they purchasing those products. We get that information to our clients to make those decisions around their businesses and uh, ultimately be more successful. Awesome. And Sai, you're known as one of the more successful entrepreneurs in the industry. Before our listeners who might not be as familiar with your work, can you walk us through your background and why you decided to pivot from tech to cannabis? Or now cannabis tech, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I've been involved in the cannabis vertical for a, a decade, which is crazy to say, um, but yeah, it really is. And uh, back in 2010, um, myself and my my co-founders, uh, same co-founders with Headset, started Leafly. Um, and we did come from the tech world. Um, you know, that was my background as a computer science major uh, so, so long ago. Uh, at this point, doing a lot of different startups, um, but really saw an opportunity on the cannabis side back in 2010, uh, particularly to demystify cannabis for a mainstream audience. There was some really interesting trends that were happening. Uh, we were based in California at the time. Uh, California had a medical program uh, as of the late 90s, but it was really uh, gaining some, some steam and a lot of dispensaries were popping up and a lot of people were getting access to cannabis that, that really hadn't had it before. Yet we're, we're you know, encountered with all these different strains and, and really not having a good, good language to be able to describe the different effects that, that you might experience. And that, that was coming from you know, firsthand experience. And uh, so we thought you know, there needed to be a platform uh, that people could share that kind of information and then you know, aggregate that data, very similar to headset with our aggregation model. Uh, but the data we had with, with Leafly was all consumer source. So self-reported, you know, how, how these strains affected them and how they, they would rate it. And we really packaged it up into something that was, I think, a little more of a mainstream experience. And, and if you think about you know, today's world of cannabis, if anybody goes to a, a cannabis retailer, you know, there's a lot of nice high-end mainstream cannabis retail but it wasn't so much the case uh, back in 2010. I think that uh, it was starting to get there, but kind of taking that position really was a big differentiator for us and really uh, helped 
grab a lot of attention for Leafly at the time and, you know, started my journey in the space. So it started with, with the opportunity, uh, but the, the more I've been involved in it, the more I really understand like the benefits that legalization can have, you know, decriminalization has particularly, you know, for, you know, all the, all the harms that prohibitions cause. And that's just something I think anybody that's in this space, you know, learns on the journey. So that really is what keeps us going and, and, and kept us in it in a big way. And you really, if you think about 2010, so ahead of the curve, was there a moment where you felt that this mainstreaming was happening, that like there was this need for like consumers or really, really reach consumer, like with a Leafly platform? Was there something that you saw in the market where you realized like, this is the time to do it? Yeah, it was... Um, a couple things. I think it was going to dispensary firsthand um, and then seeing the type of consumer that was in, in the dispensary, that it wasn't kind of the stoner stereotype that so many people associated with cannabis at the time. Um, it was all walks of life, you know, as medical. So you had, you know, you had patients that were coming in uh, for, to treat whatever, you know, illness uh, it might be helping them with. And you had, you know, other consumers that looked you know a lot like us cannabis wasn't maybe the defining factor of who they were or who they are but it's just something they enjoy like a lot of people enjoy wine a lot of people enjoy beer so uh i think we saw that happening and then california was really gearing up for a legalization effort for adult use uh cannabis or recreational cannabis back in 2010 you know unfortunately that failed uh well maybe fortunately it was kind of a not the best legislation at the time but we did see that trend happening. And so we, we jumped in, some may argue a bit too early. Uh, you know, it's always timing is, is a tricky thing, you know, but California was a big enough market. You know, we had a competitor at the time, uh, Weed Maps was doing pretty well. So we knew there was a business to be made in that, in that space and we wanted to take a different approach than them. Uh, but I think it was those kind of two factors, just the momentum that was building around, you know, some sort of legalization effort at the state level, and then uh, just seeing the the cannabis consumer and, and really realizing there weren't a lot of resources that were speaking to a broader audience. It was all kind of targeting that that stereotype at the time. Right. And obviously, you know, Leafly um, gained so much traction and still, you know, is brand name today in the space. And nowadays you hear about, you know, M&A, you know, some acquisitions, but about five years into your time at Leafly, is that correct? You guys are one of the first acquisitions in this space. And talk to us about what it was like to be one of those first companies to quote unquote have an exit um, and, and the journey to Seattle uh, with Privateer. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually about two years into our, our life cycle. It's pretty early for, for a startup. Yeah. Um, you know, for those that are familiar, you know, they say, you know, five to 10 years is usually uh, the amount of, of time it takes uh, as a benchmark, and every company is different. But we really, when we sold to Privateer, you know, it was an interesting environment. We we had this, you know, product and service Leafly that had some great traction. Uh, we had kind of the metrics that you'd expect from a consumer tech, um, you know, ir irrespective of vertical, you know, a number of customers, a number of sessions or user visits, user accounts, you know, the types of metrics that a traditional tech investors would look at from a consumer play and, and, you know, make a bet on. But the reality was there wasn't a lot of investment being made into cannabis at the time, uh, particularly ancillary or cannabis tech. We did talk to a number of, you know, angel investors because it was kind of like the, the plan was to do a, a fundraise. We had bootstrapped uh, weekly, which essentially means, you know, our own, you know, time and money uh, poured into it. And we really looked to take it to the next level through investment. And it was really hard to find. And the, the common 
kind of objection we would hear is, well, we don't know about this canvassing, if it's going to be a long-term thing or if it's just maybe a California thing. We don't know how, how big this can really get, so we're going to pass. And, you know, they were absolutely right to, to say that because it was just only California. It was only medical. Uh, there, was a, there was other medical markets at the time, but, you know, nothing very fragmented, even more than it is today. And so for lack of investment, you know, we, we continued to bootstrap it. Privateer came around. Uh, they had set up a fund. You know, they, their mandate at the time and could very well be different at this point was to, to build, buy, and invest in, you know, mainstream cannabis properties. They didn't have really any properties at the time. And Leafly had a very similar perspective on the, on the mainstream opportunity that existed in the cannabis space. So it really made sense for us to come together, uh, which ultimately ended up with, as an acquisition um, with Privateer. So it's pretty early in our life cycle. We, we jumped in with them uh, and it was great because they really took the, the finance pressure off and they brought the capital that was needed to build up operations. Meanwhile, we were able to, you know, be very involved in getting it to where it was, um, you know, over the next about three years before we decided to start Headset. Yeah. And talk to us about, you know, after the acquisition, you guys are still heads down working on Leafly. Did that influence your team's business strategy when you're developing Headset? Talk to us about the founding of Headset. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. Um, You know, we were we were ready to try something new. We, we wanted to stay in the cannabis space, given the opportunity just kept getting bigger and, and continues to get, to get uh, bigger. But um, with Leafly, there were two things that were happening in the industry uh, that really kind of tuned us into this opportunity on the data side, the market intelligence side of the business. And it was uh, the, the operators getting more sophisticated. So you're starting to see brands emerging at the time. This was you know, 2014, 2015, uh, when we started Headset. And so brands were getting, you know, more sophisticated or even existing at all. It used to be, you know, non-branded. The brands were the dispensaries and you have this non-branded flower, but then you started to see packaged goods like edibles and, and vapor pen uh, organizations that were coming to market. So that was great. More investment coming into the space, which also drove some of that sophistication. Uh, and then we had, you know, a lot of inquiries, people wanting to know, you know, what are people buying? You know, how are people buying products? you know, looking at brands and, and wanting to know, you know, how does that brand perform versus this brand? And, you know, what are their, their price points? What are their, their margins? What's their consumer profile look like? And we didn't really know that at Leafly. Um, you know, we knew a lot about the strain information. We knew about, you know, consumers and they still know, you know more than probably anybody with that. But as far as like what products were actually getting purchased, how those are getting purchased was something that was missing. So uh, we looked at, you know, existing traditional verticals, the consumer packaged goods industries and saw, you know, companies like Nielsen, companies like IRI that are out there doing this type of service for large CPG companies. And we knew that, you know, cannabis needed something similar. And so when you started it, did you have a long-term vision? Um, and does has it, has it currently look like what you imagine or has it evolved from this original vision? Yeah, we, we did, you know, it's, it's similar to the original vision. You know, we wanted to know more about, you know, how people are purchasing cannabis than anybody else and be able to provide that information back to the operators that are involved in, in the space. And, and, and as much as, you know, that was our, our goal, uh, it's very much uh, the same today as it was when we started five years ago. I think like any company, there's a lot of um, twists and turns along the way as you explore, you know, new opportunities and new product lines. You know, we do have some services that we provide today that we hadn't even considered as an opportunity when we first started headset but you know the big picture certainly is very much in line with what we set out to do and how we we set out to do it from from day one which is great and the the services that we've added on are, are really just that you know additional services in the same 
vein, you know, all under this idea of, of market data and how can market data help organizations. Right. And, and you know, obviously there's a long history of, you know, with Nielsen, you know, market data helping, you know, inform industry, but cannabis is a highly regulated industry. So can you talk to me about, um, you know, some of the hurdles that mainstream companies don't normally have to deal with and how data collection works in the cannabis industry and how does that differ? It has become more sophisticated since you guys started. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think one of the biggest biggest challenges with the cannabis industry is the is the fragmentation of the industry. So it's you know one vertical is cannabis space, um, but every market, uh, you know, California, for example, is very different than Colorado. Is very different than Florida. Very different than Massachusetts. You name it, right? Every market is different, and it's uh, quite rare. Although it, it is changing, but it is quite rare to see an operator that um, you know is very successful also be successful in you know Massachusetts or in Florida you know these other other markets and a lot of that has to do with the legislative uh, landscape and every every state or in Canada every province has a different structure and that requires these companies to have you know licenses and that can be challenging to get you know there are some exceptions with the multi-state or multi-store operators a lot of the larger publicly traded companies that have a retail footprint where they might have a number of of, of retailers or dispensaries in, in a variety of markets but it's still kind of more or less the major portion of the business is done on a state-to-state level which causes a lot of challenges like when you think about nielsen as a as a parallel to what we do you know nielsen works with big box retailers and a lot of retail is handled at organizations like walmart or you know dollar general these big organizations that cross a number of markets and so when they source data from you know walmart that's a pretty representative sample of what people are buying and for us, you know, we have to work in each market. And that means working with operators that are, you know, specific to that market that may not cross over into other markets. So we spend a lot of effort internally at Headset to find those retail cooperators to work with them. And we do work with MSOs, um, you know, and, and certainly that that helps with that kind of scale. But every market is, is different. So I think that's a, a, a notable challenge with the space. You know, especially from tech. I mean, one one thing that tech does provide is scale. Uh, you can you can scale up, you know, pretty readily with tech. But we're still limited state to state. You know, within the cannabis vertical. So scaling, while it's it's certainly easier. Like if we were a, a brand producing an edible, to scale is pretty challenging, right? If we wanted to go from California to Nevada, we'd have to get a license in Nevada, build out production in Nevada. You know, you can't build your product in California and ship it to Nevada for sale. But for us, you know, we can jump across states, we can jump across countries relatively easily, but we still source our data from the operators. And so we need to work with them market to market. So that's certainly one area, probably the biggest area uh, that makes it challenging is, is the fragmentation and, and knowing, you know, how these other market data firms in, in like the consumer packaged goods industry source data, I think fragmentation is a challenge. They, they struggle with things like um, alcohol measurement, for example, because, you know, alcohol is sold in so many different ways across so many different types of businesses. You know, you have the, the grocery, you have the, the like liquor stores, you have sporting events, you have restaurants, you have bars, all of that, right? And to say, okay, this is how well this wine sells versus this wine can be a challenge. So there's fragmentation challenges that they feel, but I don't think it compares to, I, I think cannabis is still harder at the state level and the kind of fragmentation that we see. 
Yeah, and speaking of like um, fragmentation, segmentation, are there specific sectors, you say you work some of the big MSOs, are there specific sectors in the industry that have needed more market insights um, as industry is mature? And also, have you noticed, since you guys have been doing this, you know, probably, you know, five years at, even at, at Headset, have you noticed a shift on how the data is being used over the past five years? Yeah, yeah, um, certainly. So, you know, when we think about, how the data has been used. I think early on, it was very much the cannabis operator was our core customer. So the cannabis op- when I say cannabis operator, really I'm referring to like a license holder, a, a brand, um, you know, product manufacturer, distributor, retailers, you know, people that, that hold licenses in their respective markets to produce cannabis or to, to work with cannabis. But um, I think that's, that's really shifted uh, for us as a business you know, one of the the most exciting things lately is this trend for other services that are, you know, interested in the cannabis space coming in and really trying to understand what's going on. And so organizations in like the financial services sector. So there's a lot of publicly traded companies that are out there, like the MSOs that we're talking about, and they trade on, you know, how well they perform. And so, you know, financial services companies, whether it's a, a Cowan or a Stiefel, you know, all sorts of, of them now that are covering, um, you know, the cannabis space uh, need data to really inform kind of their positions. You know, you, you know, a lot of these analysts will will peg stock prices and, you know, say, okay, this is an you know, outperform, this is a, you know, hold, this is a sell. And to do that, you know, they leverage a lot of different data sources. I mean, that's, uh, you know, financial services are, are famous for, for getting, you know, data, from as many sources as they can and as fast as they can, you know, the more recent the data is, the more valuable it is. And so they're beginning to leverage headset, which is really exciting to see. And I think it's, you know, quite helpful for their positions to really understand, you know, when these brands talk about, you know, their strategy, uh, they can, they can look at, you know, headset data to see, well, how really do they fit in these different, you know, products and how well do they sell in the market? So seeing some, some great adoption there, um, also seeing great adoption from the, the consumer packaged goods industry, whether it's, you know, alcohol, um, you know, even tobacco, you're seeing some interest uh, in the space. Some are, are getting involved more than others, but uh, certainly a number of them are, are you know, researching uh, the opportunity, researching, you know, the risk to their business in markets like, you know, Canada, where there's complete federal legalization and there's no really restrictions on, you know, coming into the space like we have here in the U.S. with the federal position. And so you're seeing more, um, you know, people looking at the data, trying to really understand what's going on. I think earlier on, you know, a few, even a few years ago, they were probably looking at data, but they're probably looking at it at the macro scale. Like how big of an opportunity is cannabis? How much volume does the cannabis industry do in, in, as far as sales? But now they're looking, you know, a level deeper. And that's where really like our sweet spot is really kind of looking at the category level. So categories being like edibles, vapor pens, flowers, and so on. Uh, segment or subcategory, you know, down to brand, down to products, uh, and really understanding, you know, what makes this industry tick. So it's a relatively newer trend for us in our five years uh, in the market. You know, early on, most of our customers were the, the license holders, but now more and more of our customer base is becoming these um, tangential or, or ancillary kind of organizations that are looking at, at the cannabis vertical to potentially participate in it in the future. Should we see, you know, change at the federal level uh, in the U.S. or, you know, what's available in the Canadian market? And also just understand, you know, how it may impact their business. 
when it continues to uh, grow as, as this industry does with more and more states, you know, coming online every, every year. Yeah. And I, I think um, these are some of the ways that mainstream businesses um, can be leveraging the cannabis data, right? How can they be informing the decisions they're, that they're making with federal legalization comes down the pike. And I want to talk, uh, just shift gears a little bit. You guys had a particularly strong response to the pandemic and published a number of reports on the various cannabis markets during, you know, this time of COVID. How do you think your findings helped uh, cannabis and mainstream industries navigate the economic impacts of the pandemic? Yeah, thanks. It was it was actually really challenging for us uh, to do that type of work. So, you know, the, the way Headset operates is, you know, we use a representative sample of retail partners in a market to, you know, paint a picture of what's going on um, in the market. And we do this in real time. And we're able to peg, you know, our data against state reported tax levels. So we know exactly, you know, how well our segment or our sample of the market is representative of the market. And it, it does enable us to, to provide our data in real time. And so when you have something like this current situation, this current you know, pandemic and, and buyer behaviors changing so rapidly, it was really tough for our analytics and our, our statistics uh, team to, to stay on top of that, to continue to provide the real-time read. And I think they did a great job. Uh, it was essentially every day uh, looking at forecasts, which is way more frequently than they they you normally have to do, because you you, you know, eventually you know uh, the the markets pre pandemic times you know there there's some trends that you start to see you know seasonality and and growth rates and it's it's gets easier to predict. But then when you have something like this, it's quite disruptive. I think you know you, you, just beyond cannabis, you look at other organizations that were out there, publicly traded companies saying, you know, we don't know, like we don't, we can't make projections. It's so hard to know, you know, consumer behavior, uh, but we did a, a great job. Uh, the, the team um, really was on top of it. And what we were able to do is really provide sales trends as it was happening. So you saw right away that spike in demand as people were rushing to the stores. This was before, you know, people knew, was this going to be classified as an essential service? It was still unknown. You know, were all these stores going to get shut down? So there was a big um, you know, wave of stockpiling that was happening. People were doing bulk purchases, you know, buying more uh, rapidly. And then that, that fell off you know, shortly after because everyone you know, had a lot of supply or they realized that the stores were going to stay open and that they could go and they didn't have to you know, buy uh, so much. And so you know, that was kind of the initial wave. And then a uh, you know, slow kind of rebound uh, over time, depending on market. Uh, some markets like Nevada were very slow and actually had like negative growth uh, from January. Uh, a lot of that has to do with Las Vegas and, and Clark County and, and most of the sales coming from that area. And, you know, Las Vegas, as everyone knows, has a lot of tourism. Tourism pretty much stopped. Colorado was in the same boat. Um, surprisingly, you know, back in March, still the tail end of the ski season. So you saw tourism drop uh, from some of those uh, areas or sales drop from those areas. But in, in areas like Denver, you know, we're less impacted directly versus some of the resort uh, cities. So you saw that. And then, uh, you know, markets like Nevada have come back, you know, that's like 20, 25% over uh, the beginning of the year uh, against you know, January sales and growth. But markets like Colorado are like 65, 70%. I mean, the sales are just through the roof. And so, um, you know, a couple things, you know, I think that's, it really highlights that, you know, cannabis is pretty resilient in a, a dynamic economy, you know, whether, whatever we're in for, if we're in for some sort of uh, recession, even with the stimulus, like when we noticed, you know, the stimulus, we saw some sales go up and it was kind of around 420 and their sales are going up anyways, but we did, you know, seem to think that there was some impact, but when the stimulus stopped, uh, we still saw uh, sales going up. 
So it's, it's pretty resilient, which is great for all of the, us in the industry uh, to know that. And, and there's parallels back into, you know, 08, 09 with alcohol and stuff that not that cannabis alcohol one to one, but there are certainly some parallels there. Uh, you know, alcohol did well during that when maybe, you know, higher ticket items weren't, weren't available. So anyways, a lot of those trends we got to our customers and our customers were able to use that to really understand what was going on from consumer demand. Uh, supply was, was challenging, right? Because so much sold out and they had to make sure was, was that going to be the trend or was it stockpiling? Was that, was that demand going to hold steady? So if you're a producer, uh, you know, packaging products, you need to know, like, how much do I need to get to these retailers? What, what is the right amount? And so we're able to get that information to them so that they could make those decisions and not overstock or understock and, you know, make sure that they could come in at the right price point that consumers were willing to pay and so on. So just having that data uh, available to them as it was happening, I think was really valuable for a lot of our customers. For sure. And I think we're all pretty gratified in the industry that, you know, cannabis, you know, in this sort of dark year has been a bright spot, right? That there has been that resilience. Um, I do want to wrap it with two questions on a positive note. So, um, you know, we're talking in October now, and there are a lot of states that are considering um, medical or adult use legalization this year. Are there any potential markets that you're particularly excited about, you know, from looking at the data or, or from your view from, from where you sit? Yeah, every, every market we love to see uh, come online, you know, in whatever capacity. I think, you know, at a high level, it's just great to see even in this kind of wacky, wild election season that this continues to be the trend. Um, you know, every big election, you have more states on the ballot. But I think if I had to pick one area I'm most excited about is certainly the East Coast, you know, markets like New Jersey, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, right, right where you're at. I did it around here. <laughs> and that's great. It's so great to hear because, you know, New Jersey, you know, they've, New Jersey been talking about a long time, but I think it is going to be uh, uh, the linchpin that forces that whole region to go. And once you see, you know, New Jersey go, you know, you're going to have Connecticut, you're going to have Pennsylvania, you're going to have New York, you know, we have Massachusetts. And, you know, it's not just speculation. I mean, the governors are already been getting together talking about, you know, how can we do this together so we're all on the same page so that, you know, we can keep the sales in our states and, and reap the rewards from all the tax benefits. And so it's just really exciting to see. And I think New Jersey is a tipping point. So if I had to pick one, it would be that. But any of those states could go and, and whichever one goes first, I think will force the others. Um, and that'd be really great to see, uh, you know, a highly populated state on the East Coast. And it's, it's been a long time coming, but I think the, the country's ready for it. So fingers crossed, uh, we, see, we see legalization there from an adult use perspective this year. Awesome. I totally agree with you. And then for our final question, I know uh, we have uh, one, another uh, commonality. We both have, have daughters. And at the end of the week, we play a game called Rose and Thorn of the Week. And, you know, what was the, you know, the pit and the peak, what was the best and worst part of the week? So you've been in this industry a really long time, you know, 10 years is really like a lifetime. What is the rose and the thorn of your time in the industry? I guess the rose would be uh, the opportunity. It's, it's an industry that uh, just seems to have some great tailwinds. Okay. I guess the legal landscape has been, you know, helpful for small startups because you don't have the major players that have jumped in right away. So it gives us room kind of a, to, to incubate and to grow and to get to scale. And then if we do see that change uh, at the federal level and, and more bigger operators are going to be coming in, uh, that's great. We're at a position where we can, you know, either be competitive or be a great target for acquisition. So I think, you know, some of the industry dynamics have really been the, the, the rose, like where, 
you know, the tailwinds of just more markets coming online. Like when we see the East Coast come online, like that, the population there, you know, it's comparable. It's more than California. It's more than, than Canada. The, the opportunity, all those states that we were just talking about. And that just continues to expand the addressable market. And so there's just more room for us to grow. Um, so I think that's been, been probably the best part. The thorn, I guess, maybe is, I guess, some of those same factors, you know, that are challenging, like the fragmentation we talked about, you know, having a market to market, you know, working with the myriad of operators across all these regions and really navigating each one, you know, everyone kind of has their own style. And, uh, you know, some of that's legislative, some of that's just the operators that are involved. And, you know, that, that does create a lot of challenges to be able to scale, even from a tech perspective, but even more so from the, from the operators, you know, it takes a, a significant investment, uh, it takes a lot of mind share. So that's the, one of the trickier pieces. So it, it kind of does cut both ways, but all in all, you know, I've been happy uh, that it's been, you know, 10 years in the space and I'm looking forward to, you know, what the next 10 years will bring for all of us. Absolutely. Thank you, Sai Scott, so much for joining us today. Thanks, Rosie. It was great. 